In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, I don't know if Jesus would have spent time on the Twitter sphere in his day or not. But imagine he did. Here is the 138-character tweet that I could imagine him sending out, sending out to let his people know about this part of his day. People came looking for more bread, small b. I told them they need more. They need bread, capital B, equal sign, me. Did they get it? Exodus 16 and Psalm 17 tell of the people of their day receiving manna and quail. The people of Jesus' day had romanticized God's giving that manna and, and quail, failing to realize that back then people had whined, and so God provided, and they still whined. And now in Jesus' day, Jesus shows up, Son of Man appears, and people can't see the bread, capital B, for the bread, small b, that he had given them. The story cannot help but remind me of two of my favorite dogs. Now, you, most of you know that Sherry and I have done a lot of obedience work with dogs, and right now we're raising puppies for canine companions for independence. And Sherry, we, next week we'll be turning in this most recent dog, but that's not who we're talking about. I want to talk about Lipton, the black lab, and Ty Cobb, the uh, field English setter. Lipton, Lipton, the black lab, was a wonderful dog, very affectionate. He, if you were sick, he would get up on the couch with you. If you played the piano, we have a nice little uh, grand, he would lie underneath the piano and just listen to you play. It was really nice. But in the obedience ring, Lipton was all about the food. You'd wear a pouch with food in it, and Lipton's eyes were focused on one place, the food. He loved to go to the, uh, to the uh, county fairgrounds where Orlando Dog Club would have obedience classes. Martha Tiller used to say, for Lipton, it's the happiest place on earth. Martha didn't understand that it was all about all the food that Lipton would get in, when we were training. I would, I would put him on the other side of the building, on the other side of the ring, and he'd have to sit there and wait for me to call him. And while he was waiting, this big, these big streams of, yeah, would just come down his chest. And it was just all white and against the, the black of his skin. And it was just a mess. But he was just, and then I would call him. And he would come bounding across and sit in front of me to get his reward. And then he'd go and heal. But his, his eyes were always here. Well, I took him into the competitive ring without recognizing how important the food was to him. Now, in the, in the competitive ring, you can't take food. So there was no pouch on my stomach. 
And I realized that he realized that the first time I gave him, he's on leash, I gave him the heel command and started to go. And then I felt, I got to the end of the leash and I felt he was back there and he was going like, hey, dude, like, where's the food? I'm going nowhere without the food. And so I had to give him a tug, which you're not allowed to do because that's points taken off. And so it was just, it was really a rough day. Every time I wanted him to do something, I had to double command him, which is deductions. And then when I took him across the ring and had him sit there and he looked at me and he was looking for the food. And then I said, Lipton, come. And he goes, I said, why? <laughs> I finally coaxed him across and he goes, all right, all right, all right, all right. Heel. Oh, okay. So it was just like one of those, I wouldn't I roll after another from the dog because the food wasn't there. Unfortunate, and it was the kind of thing that I could train him out of, but unfortunately, he went on to meet his a maker before I could get him get him trained um, to do it the right way. But, and the reason that I didn't realize that I needed to be attentive to that was because of the previous dog I'd had. Ty Cobb, the little English field setter, who from day one, it was never about the food. It was about me. I taught him to look me in the eyes. And whenever he was in heel, he, he would accept the food, but he wasn't looking, he wasn't looking for the pouch. He was looking in my eyes. It was just so wonderful. He just wanted to know what I wanted him to do. He loved the partnership. And he just had this prancing way when we were in the obedience ring because he loved to show off that I was his master. So I would take him to the other side of the ring. And he would sit there and he would just be straining, waiting for me to call him. And I would call him and we'd come streaking across. And he would sit there. And then I'd say, lift our tie cop heel. And he would go, <laughs> I mean, this dog was amazing. In fact, one year, he was the number one English setter in obedience in the country. And it was just, it was all in their eyes. Lipton, all he could see was the pouch or the lack of a pouch. And all Ty Cobb could see was my eyes. Just have three points today. One, we are what we love. Are we looking for a pouch? Are we looking into someone's eyes who loves us? The Western tradition took a self-deluding misstep when it went with Descartes' cogito ergo sum, I think, Therefore, I am. We prided ourselves in our ability to figure things out, to think our way through everything, all the while masking our motives and the desires that shape our thinking, which is why in the midst of this amazing communications revolution, we're having to spend so much time on hackers and, and junk and uh, scammers. Augustine was closer to the truth. Because, and he was closer to the truth 
because he was closer to the Bible. Augustine quipped, we are what we love. That's why the great commandment is not understand the Lord your God, figure out the Lord your God. It's love the Lord your God. Contemporary scholar Ashley Knoll says that Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, father of Anglicanism in the 16th century, Knoll says that Cranmer operated under the following assumption, write this in your hearts. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That's why when Cramner put our Book of Common Prayer together, he had us start worship by acknowledging that our hearts are open to Almighty God, that all desires are known to Him, and that from Him no secrets are hid. We're a bundle of wants, and the first thing we need to do in worship is ask the Lord to work on those wants, to reconfigure them, to purge and cleanse them, to cleanse the thoughts of our hearts so we can love and worship Him. And that simple truth that Jesus is bringing out before these who are asking him about the bread, that simple truth that we are what we love brings with it a couple of daring challenges. And so my second point, first being we are what we love, the second is I want you to want more and want better. Want Jesus. Don't settle, please, for lower appetites, lesser loves. Nothing ultimately satisfies because God made you for bread that is eternal. And pay whatever it costs. Oh, wait. All it costs is nothing. Simply that you believe. Faith in this passage is the one work. And then another challenge, my third point. First, we are what we love. Two, I want you to want and I want you to want more and to want better. I want you to want Jesus. Then the third point, second challenge. Please believe that if you have Jesus, nothing else matters. Now, with Christ, there can come many benefits, but they can't be the point. The food pouch can't be what matters. What has to matter is his eyes. Some of the things that are in his pouch have a downside. Some of them can go away, but what will never go away is his loving gaze. Do you come for a pouch of self-esteem? Look, with forgiveness of sins, there really ought to be an ability to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even more fearfully and wonderfully remade in Christ's likeness. And at the same time, 
with the forgiveness of sins comes an increasing tenderness of conscience that I never had before. Paul himself went from least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians to least of the saints in Ephesians, and finally in 1 Timothy, one of his last letters, to chief of sinners. The pouch may have an improved sense of self-worth and self-esteem, but it's not the point. The point is the gaze that says, no matter how much you realize about how far away you were and still are, I still love you and care for you. What matters is how I esteem you, less how you esteem yourself. Do I come to Jesus for a pouch of, I don't know, success in life, good grades, good job? Well, you know what? Christ's Spirit and the whole of Scripture, especially books like the Proverbs of Solomon, do teach plenty about what it takes to get good grades and do well in the marketplace. Self-discipline, industry, principles of servant leadership. My friend Mort even felt like the faith almost gave him smart pills. When he became a Christian, he just, he, was, he had been a bad student. And all of a sudden, he had a reason to read and a reason to learn, and stuff seemed to stick in his head when before it had just passed through. But the food pouch, and so sometimes, yeah, the food pouch can be full to overflowing when it comes to things that lead to success in life. But the food pouch can go empty, too. Markets change. Bosses change. You do stupid things, and you get fired. Disciplines change, and it can be hard to keep up. Some jobs you simply age out of. I see it all the time in the worship leaders that, that I train. You know, and when, once you hit 50 or 55, the skinny jeans and the spiky hair uh, people are just looking at you like, what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on anybody's toes. <laughs> but he, sometimes you have to, you, your role changes, and it can be hard. Especially if all you're looking at is the recognition that's in the pouch. Instead of in the eyes of the Savior, he says, oh, I have a, I have a new plan for you. Life is a constant adjustment, and I have to look past the food pouch all the time to my master's eyes, trusting him for what's next. Do you come for a pouch of a loving mate and a great family life? Well, what's not great about aspiring to be with somebody who can be, as the prayer book says, a strength in need? a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. There's nothing wrong or ignoble about that. And many people come back to church when they get married and kids come along. But many who aspire to marriage find that hope unfulfilled. Many of you have found that hope unfulfilled and yet find Jesus is strength in need, counselor in perplexity, comfort in sorrow, 
companion in joy. Sadly, separation and divorce happen. And sometimes it's one person's adherence to the faith that's the problem. And for them, for some of you, Jesus must be a strength in need, a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. And kids, oh, don't get me started. There's no telling what's going to happen there. Sometimes parents who do everything right bring their kids up in the best of church programs, make the very best decisions they possibly can about how to school them. They find their kids just walking away from it all. And sometimes who parents, who parents who feel like they can't get anything right and who feel their church's programming is lame at best and who are not sure at all that they're making the best decisions about how to, how to school their kids, wind up with kids who are living large and bold for the Lord. When it comes to marriage and family, the food pouch can be strangely unpredictable. But his eyes... His eyes are always there, and they always say, I am your bread, I am your life, and I love you now and will love you to the end. So, friends, today, come for the bread. But when you look upon the bread, look past the bread itself. See not the pouch, but the eyes. Take in not just the bread, small b. Take in the bread, capital B. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.